0: 10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State! Deflected into the hands of Phelps, Avery for three hits! Culver is safe!
1: The Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo.
0: Man, it's fun to be in here talking about a three-game win streak for the A-State football team. We'll talk about the UMass win coming up here in the next couple of minutes. A little bit later on, though, really excited about bringing in the new pitching coach for A-State baseball. He's been on campus a couple of months now. Peyton Treywick will be dropping by. He's got a very unique story, and looking forward to talking with him about that. Also a busy week just across the board in a state athletics big win the other day for the a state soccer team we'll Uh talk about that and they're going to be back home this week as well but let's start with football they were on the road went up to amherst massachusetts on saturday and mark taylor had it in the notes this was the 38th different state that a state football has played in over the years And I will tell you that just driving to the stadium, I was telling you this off the air, that place is in the middle of the countryside. And then all of a sudden, we happen upon a football stadium on the edge of the UMass. (laughs) If you build it, they will come. That's what happened. And it was far from the kind of weather we were having back here over the weekend, because the temperature I know was in the mid-90s here. And I felt kind of guilty because... In Massachusetts, it was in the mid-60s at kickoff, a little bit overcast, and the sun actually peaked out as the Red Wolves kept showering the Minutemen with points. <laughs> the Red Wolves went at 52-28. They're now 3-2, three first three-game win streak since 2019. And true freshman quarterback Jalen Rayner, just amazing in his second career start. And we'll go through here in just a minute and kind of talk about how the Red Wolves did this but I can't remember a single player having more of an impact than what Jalen Rayner has these last couple of weeks
1: yeah and you almost at some point like it's you know you almost catch yourself not wanting to overstate it but the truth is I don't know if you can it's one kid playing one position right and he plays a position that they always say gets too much of the credit and you know, he's going to do something wrong here somewhere along the way on the field, and he's going to get too much of the blame. But, I mean, to this point, his arrival on the scene has changed everything. I mean, I go back to the Southern Miss game. You know, he, he draws the start. You know, but by the time the first quarter's over, we've gotten an interception on defense that we didn't have all year. Blocked a punt on special teams, hadn't done it all year. And it's kind of related to one another.
0: It's just making everybody better. It's contagious right now, and everybody seems to have a lot more confidence than what we saw those first couple of weeks. You go back to Saturday, the Red Wolves get the ball first in that game, and the offense gets off to a great start. You know, they go on a scoring drive where they finish with a touchdown. In fact, they scored on their first three possessions Jaquez Cross finding the end zone on the opening drive. Rayner will hand it off to Cross Guards up the middle. Now cuts outside, running left. Inside the 10-5. He's in. Touchdown, Jaquez Cross, and the Red Wolves are on the board first. <laughs> His third rushing touchdown of the year. And then on UMass's first possession. Third and nine for UMass from their own 24. Pumachan. Throws it over the middle. It's intercepted by Eddie Smith. Smith running left across the 30, 25 20. Eddie inside the 15. And A State with their third takeaway of the year. And then three plays later. Emmanuel Stevenson gets in the end zone. Wallace will stand to the right of the quarterback, Jalen Rainer. Rainer fakes the handoff, throw it right side, caught. Manny Stevenson will walk in for the score. And it was good to see Manny really get involved yeah. the other day.
1: And really, I know you look at the final score, and, and quite honestly, fifty-two twenty-eight is not very close. And I don't know that the game was as close as the score. But you go back to that Stevenson touchdown that made it fourteen nothing. That may have been the key to the game because. It would have felt a little deflating to have gotten the field position you got off the Eddie Smith pick and kick a field goal. Yeah, ten nothing would have seemed a whole lot different than fourteen nothing, and eventually seventeen. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint maybe one one thing in a game that was seemed so one sided, but I think that would play pretty big.
0: I think that's a really good point. I mean, you're not even six minutes into the game, but it, it did seem very big at that moment because it, it did. Firmly put momentum on the side of the Red Wolves. And, you know, after the defense gets it back, Dominic Zavada hits a 44-yard field goal. You're up 17 to nothing. You go back just over the course of the entire day, 11 possessions for the Red Wolves, and they scored on eight of them. And what a catch by Jeff Foreman on the touchdown Early in the second quarter. Ball the right hash on second down. Rainer going deep right side looking for Jeff Foreman. This is caught. Did he stay in bounds? He did. What a throw and catch. Rainer to Foreman on the 39-yard score.
1: So, uh, let me see. You're talking about 11 possessions scored on eight. So, what are you looking at? Miss Seven field, touchdowns. Missed miss field goal at the half. Oh, that's right.
0: Could have been nine. You had a punt
1: yeah and really you ran it I mean you were just running clock at the end and ended up turning it over on downs
0: that drive was as impressive as yeah anything.
1: absolutely
0: yeah the, the offense was fantastic all day later in the first half Courtney Jackson with a four yard touchdown catch his fourth touchdown of the year he's playing really well had four catches for 75 yards and that score you're up 31 to 10 at the half then Early third, Jalen Rayner finds a wide-open Reagan-Ealy. Ten minutes to go. Third quarter, Ace day with the football, leading at 31-13. Rayner going deep left side for Ely, Wide open. Makes the catch at the five and walks in for the score. A 33-yard strike. Rayner to Ely. That was Reagan's first career touchdown. I didn't realize until huh. Mark Taylor reminded me. Reagan did not scored in... His first couple of years, even though he's been out there and had significant reps
1: and has made some big catches
0: for us. But Reagan gets his first career score. And then later, Jeff Foreman with his second touchdown catch of the day. Jackson Foreman and Jones split rights. Cross will motion out of the backfield, become a receiver on the left. Rayner looks left, now goes over the middle. This is caught, Jeff Foreman with his second touchdown catch of the day. He had two catches, both for touchdowns. Darian Griswold was pointing it out after the game. He was kind of comparing them. You remember our man Julian Jones. He was one of those guys that all he did was... All he did, yeah, was catch touchdowns. Catch touchdowns. I think my favorite play was the play early in the fourth. Little RPO, Jalen rolls out. It's the first play of the drive. Finds Adam Jones, and Adam takes it 55 yards to the house. Raider fakes the handoff, rolls right, throws right, caught. Adam Jones, 30, 20, cuts left inside the 10-5. Touchdown, Adam Jones. Jalen Raider with his sixth touchdown pass of the night the six touchdown passes ties a school record that had only happened one other time justice hansen threw for six touchdowns in a game against semo back in 2018 but you're talking about the second career start as a true freshman you're tying justice hansen's school record which is amazing and then there's a couple other stats here 20 of 25 for 383 So he had 20 completions to nine different receivers. When you think about it, six touchdown passes. He had more touchdown passes than than incompletions. (laughs) And I think my favorite stat was one that Mark Taylor put out right after the game. The fourth true freshman FBS quarterback since 2013 to throw for six touchdowns in a game. And the thing that stands out are who the other three are. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Caleb Williams. That's women with some pretty big fish.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, the MVP, another one right there at that level, and the probably number one pick in the draft. That's it. That's
0: all. But Jalen was magnificent. And just the poise he's playing with. We were doing the TV show the other night, and they're showing a replay of it, and there's an angle – you know, right after Jalen throws that, that first touchdown pass down the sideline to Jeff Foreman, he took a big shot. And he just bounces off of it, runs around, and starts to go down to celebrate. It's like he was never phased
1: by it. Yeah. Well, there, obviously, you want to limit those big shots. Well, with, you would. With yes. that said, now listen, all's well that ends well. It played out perfectly. So that drive at the end, milking the clock and running the football.
0: Thirteen plays, and it took nearly ten minutes I, off the clock.
1: I, I, I was – Jalen came out in the middle of that possession. I was hoping he was not involved in that possession. <laughs> you know, I I, it, it, I thought, boy, I, I mean, even when it happened watching the game and, you know, you get the, the touchdown to Adam Jones, I'm like, I hope that's his last play of the day. Yeah. He ended up running a few more and got out of there unscathed, thankfully.
0: Well, you mentioned Adam. He had a big day. Three catches, team high 105 yards and that 55-yard touchdown but just the offensive numbers overall were fantastic 556 yards of total offense this three-game win streak it's no coincidence that the Red Wolves have been 50 percent or better on third down in each one of those wins they were six of 10 on Saturday and they had 32 first downs
1: this was a game last year we did not convert on the third down
0: I went back and Kind of looked at some of the numbers from that game getting ready for last week. And statistically, you wonder how in the world we won that game. Because we won 35-33, but they outgamed us 475 to 275. And we had nearly 300 yards more offense in this game than we did a year ago when we were playing at home. Of course, I thought
1: thought for a lot of the second half, it looked like we were going to go over the strategy about the best way to not worry about your third down conversion rate is just don't ever have one. With the bulk of the second half, I think without ever even making it to third down.
0: That's a good thing. I mean,
1: (laughs) yes.
0: (laughs) To only have 11 possessions and you face third down 10 times. So you really (laughs) didn't have to... Didn't have to do it that often. But when you did, you were successful because you put yourself in third and manageable situations, which has been a big key for the Red Wolves these last three weeks. Defensively, I thought Javante Mackey uh, had a good game. The redshirt freshman linebacker, we called his name a lot. Team high eight tackles. Also had a team high two sacks in that game. And look, he's not even near his ceiling. Oh, yeah. Uh, You see the kind of energy he plays with. I love that linebacking core right now, the way guys like Char Willekes and Gavin Potter are playing, but especially Malik Straker and the guy, the the kind of leader he is. One thing, we did mention it briefly on the broadcast the other day, but Malik Straker had some family and friends come down from Brampton, Ontario. This was definitely the closest trip for family and friends to come down. Because Brampton, as we found out from Malik when he was in here on this podcast, is right outside of Toronto. But Malik, on this trip, wanted to get baptized. He had planned it because we were going up to UMass this particular weekend. He knew family and friends would be coming down. Darius Dunaway, our friend Darius from the FCA, actually baptized Malik at the team hotel Friday night.
1: How about that?
0: I thought that was the neatest part of the trip. Well,
1: heck yeah, that's a lot bigger win than the one on the field, and the one on the field was really good. Yeah,
0: so just couldn't be a bigger fan of Malik Straker and the kind of leader he is, but uh, also just – Every time I have a conversation with that guy, and anybody who has heard our podcast visit with him, I think they understand. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it because he uh, he has an amazing story and just really, really neat. And I know it was a big honor for Darius to be a part of that the other night as well at the team hotel. Red Wolves now three and two on the season. They're one to no in conference play and they're gonna return to conference play coming up on Saturday against Troy. We'll talk about that game. A little bit later on in the program, but we'll take a break here. And when we come back, we'll be joined by new A-State pitching coach, Peyton Treywick. Stay tuned for that here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Red Wolf fans, this is Demario Davis, proud Red Wolf and linebacker for the New Orleans Saints, and I'm asking you to help out our current A-State student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our players by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at Impact Club. Com. Thank you, and Wolves Up. We are pleased to welcome into the studio our special guest this week. It's the new pitching coach for A-State Baseball. Welcome in, Peyton Trawick. How are you doing, Peyton? I'm good, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Man, it's great to have you here, and good to just kind of get to know you a little bit. You were named the new pitching coach over the summer, so... Mm-hmm. Tell us about that first conversation with Coach Raffo. When was the first time you you found out about him, and when did you know you wanted to take the job here?
2: So, funny enough, I uh, I saw, and this kind of backtracks a little bit, so back in, you know, I think it was early June, I saw that the the job had opened, and, you know, I didn't really have it in. I didn't really know Coach Raffo. You know, I was in Florida, and yeah, I knew I wanted to try to make the jump to the Division One level and had kind of had my name in some different hats and nothing really had kind of panned out the way I wanted it to throughout the summer and Never got a call or anything, and probably it was the lack of connection. And then we go through the summer, and a friend of mine named Brock Moss reaches out to me and is kind of like, "Hey, you know, would you have interest in that job?" He's like, "I know you're from the state, and you know, would you have interest in maybe being in on that?" He's, like, "I heard it's you know kind of wide open," and I was like, "Yeah, like if you could get my name in that hat, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to go back home." And so i at, a, I get that text on a Friday night, and I guess uh, the way I believe it worked out is he kind of reached out to Drew and kind of tossed it out there and then he came back to me it was like hey I think they may reach out just I'm not real sure. So I'm at one of my best friend's weddings that weekend. I'm a groomsman at his wedding and I've got my phone on me just non-stop and cuz cuz I'm kind of anxious for it cuz the opportunity you know, to go home and be in your home state is a, a pretty unique one considering everything that gone on the last couple of years and I think it was that Saturday night he reached out and we get on the phone that Sunday while I was driving back home from the wedding and you know we went through the the interview process that week but first conversation I had with him you know I realized pretty quickly how special of a you know just a person and a communicator and a coach and kind of his expectations for the program and we really didn't even talk a ton about you know me and kind of what we do he kind of laid the framework of hey like these are the kind of people we want in our program and kind of try to get a feel I think if I would even fit that mold right because I think one of the big things in culture is you have to kind of protect it and you could kind of tell that that was a goal but I knew as soon as I got off the phone that pretty quickly I I was like, yeah, I think this could be a really good fit. So he's been awesome. But that first conversation, you could tell it was, a, hey, we got to figure out who this guy is. Cool, but it was kind of stressful on my end because I knew I wanted the job. Being from the state, and I know a lot about his background and things like that. So it was a stressful one, but I think on his end, it was a very, you know, trying to get to know you.
1: So in that first conversation, I mean, do you feel like you're being cased? I mean, it's like because I think a job interview is, hey, trying to see if you want the job, they're selling the job, but it, it kind of felt like maybe that first conversation was the other way around a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I feel like if you, know, if you don't know the person and it kind of gets referred to you, it, it can be a little tough. Like, he doesn't know a ton about me. I know who he is, but I don't know a ton about him. And you know, and we talked a little bit about kind of the things we do and the things that he wants to see done in the program. I mean, it was a probably over an hour-long conversation, but that first part kind of outlined what he wanted to see and kind of what his thoughts were, and then... It kind of bounced back to me and kind of how I thought I ran things and how much of a fit it was going to kind of be. And I think we realized pretty quick, or at least I did. I don't know if he did, but pretty quickly I thought it would be a pretty good fit. But no, he he
1: vetted me pretty good. Here's what I want to know. It's random, so it's off topic. But whether it's that first conversation, whether it's when you get there, I, I want to know what did he tell you about the ballpark it's a pitcher's ballpark
2: that that was the that was he's one not lying thing. about that so when, when I watch our guys hit BP and we got some guys that could swing it on me you know, on the team this year but'm I'm, I'm watching especially inner squads right now and I'm like it's like wow like that where I where I came from that would have that would have been out on the road you know it's, it's just it's a <laughs> little different so but uh no he's not lying I
0: could tell you that let's go back you mentioned you're from Arkansas you grew up in Jacksonville mm-hmm. Did you always play baseball?
2: I did. So I played growing up from the time I think I think I started t ball when I was like six. I was a little smaller than everybody else for a long time, and so I think I kind of had to wait a couple years. But played all throughout my childhood. Played in the summer. Played American Legion in high school. The high school team that I played for was not very good. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Like we were probably the worst high school baseball program in the state. I went to a uh, private Christian school called Abundant Life, my K through fifth grade. And then I transferred to this brand new school called Jacksonville Lighthouse Charter School. And uh, so the first year it started, it was K through six. And then the next year it was K through seven. So I was in that oldest group every year. So we were playing high school sports in ninth grade with just ninth graders. Oh wow! And on top of that, We had, like, I think three baseball players in the whole school. So, like, the high school experience baseball wise was kind of tough, but I played from March till September or October pretty much every year up until I graduated.
0: You get through graduation, you go to UCA. Uh, I want to talk about some of the things you did while you were Mm -hmm. at Central Arkansas, but when you got to campus, what was your goal? Did you think someday I want to work in baseball?
2: Yeah. So, being honest with you, I listened to the podcast you did with Drew, and and I know he referenced that question I asked him of, you know, if you didn't coach, like, what would you do? And I gave him my answer, which was I'd probably try to work in the FBI, because I've always thought that's really cool. But that was always my plan D, You know, like I always knew I wanted to work in baseball. And so my goal was to try to be a general manager at the big league level. I always thought I wanted to kind of work in that front office realm, try to help build a team. And because I always thought that was really cool. And so I did a business administration degree and was like, all right, I think this is about as close as I can get, you know, degree wise. And I kind of went through that track and worked for some smaller independent scouting companies during that time and really tried to just pad my resume to where I could get an internship with a a big league team, because that's kind of where your entrance is. So I tried to do everything I could to pad that. And then you're you know, doing this while you were in college. Right, right. So I was going to school full-time, um, taking 15 credit hours and then getting taking a couple classes for some minors on top of that and wow. Um, and I worked for technically two different like independent scouting agencies at the time that had like basically contracts with MLB teams to like supplement their draft aid. So basically we would give video and write like independent reports and they would take them and basically use them in the the draft room and maybe in like their stuff that they did before the draft. So it it was pretty cool. And at the time, you know, I thought it was going to be basically an organization that would grow and then they both kind of fizzled out because at the end of the day, you know, big league teams want pretty objective information and I felt like a lot of what we did was pretty subjective so it fizzled out pretty quick but that exposed me a lot of to like the the scouting realm and trying to get a feel for what guys can do really well and what they can't and so it kind of was able to jump start that like player evaluation part for me um, and being able to try to pick guys and figure out you know can they play at this level can they do this really well and you know you miss on guys like there was a couple guys I thought weren't very good and you know end up getting drafted and there were guys I thought were really good and didn't get picked up and so you kind of go through and figure out like what if what you're seeing is valid so i got to do that pretty early which i think helped a
1: lot it'll sort of jump ahead in your story so we're gonna work back to it but before i forget just hearing you tell i want to know the similarities and the differences between scouting and Recruiting?
2: I think recruiting is, you know, I think there's a lot more, at least from what I was doing, that went into it on the recruiting side just because you're trying to get to know the family, what kind of student they are, and things like that. And whenever I was doing the scouting stuff, it was purely just baseball and so for me I think there's a lot of similarities in terms like with these high school guys and junior college guys we're trying to project you know how much more is left from an IQ standpoint from an ability from a strength standpoint so I think there's a lot of similarities but then also I think what we're doing at the college level is a lot more in depth because you want to make sure that you're getting the right people in there and you're getting the right families and you know are they going to come in and do things you know be not only Great players, but also great people, great students, great members of the community, and things like that. And so, I think that's kind of where, for me, getting into college baseball was a lot different because you're having to try to figure those things out and trying to make sure you're bringing in the right guys that fit a larger puzzle.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing I do want to mention here while we're talking about what you did in college is you have been behind a microphone before. You did some sports talk is that right
2: that's right so i worked at a at the radio station there on campus just to you know make money i had a sports talk show for like oh gosh it was probably a year i couldn't even tell you what the name of it was it was me and a couple of my buddies and we talked primarily baseball but we talked some other sports and stuff too and so the the microphone doesn't really scare me as much as as it would some people but also i ain't scared to talk either so uh, i'll talk for a while if you let me but i enjoyed it and it was
1: awesome i mean he's brain surgeon like rocket scientist Sports talk hosts. They're all right there kind of lumped together. Yeah, they, yeah.
0: they usually are. In my book.
1: Yeah, that, no doubt.
0: With the scouting yeah. and everything you're looking for right now, and especially the day and age we're at yeah. uh, as far as baseball just overall, mm-hmm. with analytics, how big of an analytics guy are you? How much do you take that into account?
2: I think on the, on the recruiting side, it, it can be a little hit and miss just because If you don't have a way to measure it when you're seeing the guys play, like teams are sending us, you know, like, oh, this guy is 2,500 spin on the fastball and like things like that. And you're like, well, like we, it's kind of subjective because like like they could be, it could be inaccurate. It could be guessing, you know, like, oh, it just looks like it's got a lot of spin. So for that, it's kind of, kind of tough. But now when we get them to campus, you know, we have the track man on the field and we, we bought a portable track man for the bullpen so we can do pitch design and things like that and really try to push that that player development side on the pitching side. So when we get them here, it's a, it's a lot more in-depth with it. Now, granted, we're trying to build a complete player, right? Like, it's not just about the data. Like, we're really pushing the, you know, trying to make them well-rounded, understand how to compete and feel their position and do things the right way. But I think in the evaluation part, it can be kind of tough because unless you have a way to measure it, like, right there, a lot of what some of these coaches could tell you can be not accurate. So you kind of have to take it at,
1: for what it's worth. So you mentioned – at one point your thought process was geared toward the business side, sort of. Yeah. The the construction of a team, mm-hmm. the front off side of it. So where do we kinda hit this fork in the road and you Veer off the coaching direction.
2: Yeah, so what happened was, you know, I got an internship with the Tampa Bay Rays. That would have been November of 19, so I was still a full-time student, you know, and I got this position. I'll tell you the story. I told this to a couple of my friends, so I'm going through that winter right before I was going to the winter meetings. They were in San Diego that year, and I was getting ready to go to San Diego to try to interview and... College kid with a ton of resumes. I'm like messaging people on LinkedIn, like trying to set these interviews up and trying to be really proactive. And somehow I got an interview with the Tampa Bay Rays guy that interviewed me. They started the process early because I guess they wanted to do like the final interviews in person. And I got impatient. And it's right after Thanksgiving. And I call one of my buddies and he's, he works in the Rangers organization now, a great friend of mine. And I go, man, like I really want to work for them. And at the time, and they still are, they were on like the leading edge of like player development technology and they still are, but they were at the forefront of it then. Like they were, they were number one and they had it figured out. And I was like, man, like this is a really good opportunity, especially for what I'm trying to do. Like, and they keep people around. And I was like, I got to figure out a way to make this work. And So I call them, I come up with this idea, I call them and I go, the guy's name was Brett. And I go, Brett, say, here's the deal, man. I was like, I know you guys have to take your time and make this decision. And I said, but I've got another team that offered me something and they want a decision. I think it was on like a Tuesday and I go, they want me to tell them something by Friday. Is there any way you can tell me yes or no by then? And my thought was, and this was just completely not accurate. And so the thought was, (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to try to make it seem like I'm wanted in hopes that they would try to move. It's the only time I've ever done that, but as as a kid, like I was was playing with house money because I was way underage and I'll explain how. So they offer me the job and I take it until I go to San Diego and I'm kind of just there networking at that point. But I'll tell you why it paid off because I get there and I was the youngest intern in that organization by like four years. Mm. Like everybody else was like 24, 25. And, you know, and it kind of worked out to where that, I guess, power play or however you want to put it. Like it worked out, but I knew I wanted the job and I was willing to do whatever I had to do to make it work at that time. Because I knew if you have the Tampa Bay Rays on your resume, like that helps a ton because of how they do stuff. And look back, like I kind of lied to him in a sense and it makes me kind of feel bad. But also like it was an opportunity that I really wanted as a college kid. Like I knew like if I didn't get it and they didn't hire me, like there was a lot of guys in my age that just weren't they weren't even getting calls back. And so it was kind of a I was like, I got to try to find a way to make this work because I don't want to be on the outside looking in for another year. And so I took the chance and did it and it paid off. And I learned a ton and I, you know, I think we did a pretty good job. And then obviously COVID hits, the fork in the road kind of comes and we get sent home and, you know, I'm working from home for two months and I kind of figured out, I don't want to sit in an office because this is exactly what I was doing. I had an office set up in my room. I had a desk and I was doing like all these projects for him, working 40 hours a week remotely. And I kind of figured out like, I don't want to be in an office my entire life. And so in May, I decided I wanted to get into coaching and that was kind of where things changed. So that, so me going through and really trying to make that power play for that job actually was a really pivotal moment for me in my life because I realized really quickly what I thought I wanted to do was actually not it at all. And I realized that you don't make any kind of impact on anybody's life sitting in an office for me. Like I didn't know how to do that. Now, obviously there's other people that can, but like, I, I don't know how I would have been able to reach people that way. And that's something I've always wanted to do is try to make an impact on others.
0: And I get that part. But how did you become a pitching coach?
2: So I pitched growing up like that mm-hmm. was my thing in high school. And and I ended up hurting my shoulder a couple of times in high school, which is a big part of why I didn't play college baseball, because I was letting myself be overused. Like There was a time where I played a high school game and threw seven innings on the front end of a doubleheader. And then turn around. and We ran out of pitching in game two, and I turned around and threw like two and a third. And then like three weeks later, I hurt my shoulder and I couldn't lift my arm. So like I had always pitched, and that to me was like something I wish I hadn't have done. And so I kind of took pitching as like you know I want to keep other people from making the same mistakes I did, you know, and try to nurture them and grow them. And so I chose pitching. I like hitting. Like I like being around our hitting guys and trying to learn and do stuff, but. I kind of took it as a personal thing to where, like, these guys, you know, there's a lot of people now that are, I think, not training guys the right way and not taking care of them and trying to push them too hard. And you see arm injuries on the rise everywhere. And and I kind of took that as a, you know, I want to make sure that I can make a positive impact. And I think being able to – take my experiences from that and apply it was kind of where I got that from and then also being around you know Nick Harlan my year at UCA I think was was really huge in that because there were some some tough things that year I was with UCA in my life that when I was with the baseball programs that I kind of had to get through with my dad got divorced and just some different stuff and and he was there for me every day it was a tough time. You know, I kind of took to him and really viewed him as a mentor. And so I found myself down with the pitchers every day and I learned a lot from him. And so for me, it was like, you know, I kind of want to try to make that impact and and be around people, but also like I enjoy pitching. And so I kind of just angled that way and ran with it.
0: And you get an opportunity at a community college, right? Yeah. Your first coaching
2: step. It, It was. And so I went through, I remember I'm sitting at my dad's apartment, in San Antonio. My parents got divorced when I was like 7 or 8 and he moved there like like the, literally the day I started high school he like moved to San Antonio and so I went down there and saw him and you know I couldn't go to class and I I had, I had just gotten furloughed um by the Rays because we weren't doing anything. And so mm-hmm. I was sitting there and I was applying for jobs, making resumes, sending it out. And the Rays thing allowed for me to get some calls just from like various levels, nothing at the Division I level or anything, but like Division Two, junior college, like putting in for some of these like pitching jobs and things like that, which so going back to that power play, it kind of helped me because without that, I would have been a, a guy with no playing experience in college trying to coach and you, I would have gotten – absolutely no opportunities, regardless of COVID or anything. So that ended up kind of being a blessing that I did that. So I ended up going to camp and, Took over a pitching staff that didn't have a pitching coach the year before, so I was coaching guys that didn't even have a pitching coach, and I had never been a pitching coach. And
0: So you were an immediate upgrade without any pitching coach you know, experience. You know, it, it's
2: point. kind of funny when you when you look at it like that, you know, yeah, I had never thought of it like that. The, the head coach was the pitching guy. I don't even know if he really identifies as a pitching guy, so it was an interesting dynamic, so yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've never thought of it like that. That's kind (laughs) of funny. But uh, yeah, so I got there and the staff was there was some talent there, but they just weren't coached, you know, because as a head coach, like you've got to be everywhere. And he just wasn't able to spend the time with him. He wanted to. and, And so I got to really learn some stuff, you know, and I was really green. And the fact that I had to kind of figure out not even necessarily how to like program guys out because I felt like I had done a good job preparing for that and like making sure I knew like what kind of routines and regiments they needed to be on. and But it was more so trying to figure out like how to communicate effectively with the players and how to voice my like opinions and emotions without like blowing up on them and things like that. Because, you know, you see with a lot of young coaches where they get angry really easily because they just don't like. They think if you just yell at somebody, it's gonna make them do things the right way. And In reality, like that's not necessarily just, how that works.
1: You think it's just young coaches? Well,
2: yeah, maybe other coaches too. But that it's a it's a <laughs> but it's a re- it's a real stereotype, like in young guys because they just you know they got that I guess that alpha high testosterone mentality. But so I had to kind of learn how to do that, and but it ended up being two of the best years I could have ever had because I got to basically he turned a blind eye to me after like two weeks in, and I got to really figure out how to run and progressive pitching staff day to day. And there was a lot of growth for me, especially in that first year because of that.
0: So after just two years of being a pitching coach on the community college level Mm -hmm. at Camp Community College, you get a job at the College of Central Florida. Mm -hmm. You spend one season there. And you win a national championship.
2: Yeah. So I I saw the job posting come up for the pitching job there, and I knew they had went to the World Series the previous year. But I didn't really know kind of what they had coming in or anything like that. They hadn't been to a World Series since 1998 before that. So I didn't really know if it was kind of a one-off thing. Like, I I didn't know. But I knew that – It was full time, so a lot of people don't know this. When I was at camp, I made zero over two years for coaching baseball. I worked uh, part time at the college as a grounds and maintenance guy for about six seven months, and then I was a quote unquote the security guard, Hmm. and that was how I made my money. Which I am not a imposing figure at all. So, um, like I wore the little like black shirt with the little like sheriff star on it, said security like the whole nine, and I walked around the building and. You know, and it allowed me to some free time to, like, work on baseball stuff. So that was kind of the idea, the administration's idea of getting me, like, paid to do baseball without, like, paying me to do baseball. But that job at Central Florida was full-time. It paid, like, $20,000, and they paid for my housing, which is a junior college idea of full-time. So it was an opportunity to focus just on baseball. And I told my head coaches, like, look, like, it's it's a different state. You know, junior college baseball in Florida is probably the best in the country right there with – probably Texas and North Carolina is pretty good too. But uh, I was like, I got to take this. And he goes, no, I agree. And so he actually encouraged me to take the job. And, you know, I get down there and my best arm in Virginia was like 88, 91 up to a two. And I don't think I had an arm. I had like one arm under like 90 miles an hour when we got there that fall. So there was a big culture shock in terms of just like the caliber of player. And I, I kind of was... I guess worried in a sense before I got there because you know, you're coaching a different caliber player. I was like, you know, how much different is this gonna be when in reality, like all of these guys typically need and I'm not gonna say the same things in terms of just like one thing, but the nurturing and development these guys need across the board is pretty consistent regardless of level. The only difference is is what their natural ability is and how you know what they're capable of doing on the surface level. And so uh, you know we got a lot better and we were really talented, especially offensively like you know we had a generational junior college Dh that was really good and 10 or 11 division one guys on that roster. but we, we were really good and I, and I knew in the fall we'd have a chance but I didn't really realize we were going to be as good as we were.
0: Well, it's been quite the fast track. Yeah, really. Yeah. Three years total as a pitching coach. Yeah. One year in which you've been paid. Yeah. And now here you are on the Division One level at... 26. You're 26,
1: 26 now. 26. So how's this happen? Like, what's the secret sauce here about you that you pulled this off? Gosh, that's a tough question.
2: You know, I, I think a lot of it is... For me, um, I kind of struggle answering this question. I feel like I do things the right way because I care about the players and i don't I don't worry about where I'm going next, what the next move is like I want to see these guys get better every day and I want to be a part of their lives in like a like a true fashion like in high school, I went through four head baseball coaches in four years, and only one and a half of them I know' half sounds crazy, but I only had them for half a year, so it's kind of why I put it that way actually coached baseball. So, like, my baseball coach my 10th grade year was a soccer coach. He had never played baseball a day in his life. And then my senior year, he was our band director, and he had never played baseball a day in his life. So, for me, like, I really lacked that. I know it's – I see the look on your face. It's insane. I really lacked, other than that one year, my junior year, of having a coach that, like, really poured into me and, like, wanted to see me improve and wanted to see me become a better player and a better person – and so I tell myself every day, like, we're going to do right by these players, and they're going to know by my actions that that we love them and we care about them and we want to see them succeed. And, and there's no – for me, you know, having the chance to come here was a little different. Like, I, I genuinely wanted this job. But with some of the other ones, it was like, you know, I don't know. Like, I really enjoy the guys here at CF. And, you know, a lot of coaches think, like, oh, like Division One job, like guys will jump on them if they're offered to you. But I love those players, and I still do. For me, I think the difference is – how I try to do things and why I do things. And, you know, and I feel weird saying that because I feel like I'm talking about myself, but...
0: That's why you're here. We want you to
2: talk about yourself. Well, that's fair, but... The winning is awesome, right? Like, I want to win. Like I'm a competitor. I mean, I, got, like, I want to win everything I do, every no. game we play, right? But, like, these players only have one chance to play college baseball. You either build a long-lasting relationship with them that goes beyond the field or it's just going to be punching the clock and they come in and they do what they got to do and they leave, right? And I think if you develop those relationships and have that buy-in with them, it, it goes a long way. And, well, it's not, and it's genuine. Like, I care about these guys, and it's been like that at every
0: stop. One thing about your situation here – You're not the only new guy in the room. Right. In fact, and we can talk about the the rest of the staff. I know Coach Raffo and Drew Labonte are here, but there's a lot of new guys in that office along with you. And then you look at the newcomers on this roster, Mm -hmm. and I know we've announced 20 newcomers. Twelve of those are pitchers, correct? They are. So, you've got a lot of new guys that are in this program for the very first year that are kind of learning along with you, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think a lot of it, just go with the roster first. Like, these guys, they want to be here. You know, especially the pitchers. Like, we have a group that's, I mean, they're talented. Like, it's, it's a good group. Like, I've been very impressed so far with, you know, their demeanor and their poise and you know, their ability to compete in the strike zone and be very aggressive in the strike zone. We have guys that have good stuff, but beyond that, they want to be here, they want to succeed, they want to work hard, and that's a separator. I mean, you see guys that their natural ability is really good, but they kind of coast a little bit. But we have guys up and down on this roster. Like I genuinely feel that they they want to be here and they want to be good. And it's an old group. Like We have 17 upperclassmen arms between juniors and seniors, 17 of them. Now, if there's some junior college guys in that mix that are new, but it's a veteran group, and obviously those guys that are new to the Sun Belt are going to have to kind of figure out how good the talent is, and playing some of the teams we play in our schedule early will kind of help with that in terms of the talent. But you know they're going to have to figure some of that stuff out, but we, we've got a group that's got a chance to be, I, I think, pretty special.
1: And it's a lot like the question I just asked you before, kind of what was the secret sauce? I think there's going to be a lot of overlap mm-hmm. with the answer to this, but you Let's say they didn't know your story, or maybe they already did, or they listened to this podcast, and now your guys are going, now hang on a second. Here's a dude that didn't play D1. He's barely older than us. Why am I supposed to listen to this guy?
2: You know, and I think the, the relationship side yep. is a big part of that. Like, like we got, I got on the phone with these guys the week I got the job and really told them, like, hey, listen, here's how we're going to do things. I said, this pl- the, the plan and stuff we try to implement for you is going to be very individualized, very tailored towards you. And, you know, I tried to watch, you know, Synergy video or video on Twitter, whatever I could find on some of these guys to try to give them an idea of where we were going to go. And, and I think producing five – in a sense, like power five, baseball power five arms at CF last year really helped with that because a lot of them were kind of able to look and it's kind of funny one of the new guys on the roster was at the World Series and we actually stayed in the same hotel hotel as him so he was kind of familiar with not necessarily me but the program and I, mean, I think that helps but I, I think being able to build the relationship is a big part of it like these guys if they trust you they'll run through a wall for so, you.
0: So backpedaling there you had five pitchers on your roster last year at the College of <laughs> Central Florida that have transferred to Power Five schools,
2: so I consider the Sun Belt Power Five in baseball. You should, yeah. yes, I mean you it's should. Like, it's like I think RPI wise, it was the third best conference in the country last year. You know, like it's like it's it's a top three or four baseball conference in the country, and so in my mind, I kind of shift it from your normal like football Power Five idea, which honestly, the Sun Belt football wise is kind of starting to trend that way too. I mean, it's been incredible yeah. to kind of watch across the league, but you know, we had. Guy go to Oklahoma State, a guy go to Mississippi State. We had a guy go to Lafayette and a guy to Texas State and a kid to Georgia Tech. And so
0: He's he, fitting in already. Yeah. He is. Well that part. We're, we're, yeah. we're proud of you, Payton. And you don't even Lafayette. know why.
2: Yeah, you're right. I yeah. have no idea why, but yeah, I appreciate it. You I, didn't
0: You didn't do the Louisiana thing.
1: so you said you sent a guy to Lafayette, and that's...
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I kind looking other, around. I was like, oh.
1: So that's one thing. That's the positive of that story. Yeah. But the other side's like, the, hang on a second. Get, walk me through the timeline here of how you guys, guys in Lafayette and San Marcos, I guess that just come around before they knew you were going to Oh, yeah. Here.
2: So they committed
1: April-ish.
2: April and I, and I was happy for him. Like they, you know, they went on the visits and they they loved it. You know, you go somewhere, and you know, if it feels like home pretty quick. And they, like one of them, the guy, the kid at Lafayette, like his girlfriend golfs at Dallas Baptist, and so he wanted to be within driving distance of her, and so that was kind of a good fit for him. That was about as close west as he could get. And then the kid that went to Texas State, you know, he wanted to be close to some big cities because he was a Florida kid, but none of the Florida Division ones were on him. It was. Kind of weird. So San Marcos being, you know, like an hour from San Antonio. And I'm like it was kind of the perfect fit for him there, too. It was kind of funny how it worked out in the end because they reached out to me and congratulated me. He was like, yeah, we'll, we'll be seeing you in the spring. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like, trust me, it's not lost on me. I'm aware I'll be seeing you again. So they're well, great kids, though.
0: Well, this has been good. Just kind of get to hear your story. A little bit and then as we get closer to the season we can get with you and and kind of break down the roster a little bit more but right now I mean you're you're into fall workouts and getting to know these guys yeah. a little bit
2: no it's been good you know and our guys are awesome this group is is very close you don't always have that to where they they bond so quickly and they work really hard for each other they hold each other accountable which is the big part of it you know and I think if you're going to be a high level team like you've got to have that sense of accountability that doesn't come from the coaches and so they do they do a really really good job of
1: that before we get out of here I got two things not specifically related to you or the team but I want your take on it kind of related to each other one is you know having spent those three seasons at a community college level and given the state of the world with the transfer portal I just wondered like is that almost the mindset that needs to be Taken to building a Division One roster right now, especially a place like Arkansas State. Do you need to anticipate the roster turning over basically every two years?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's it's tough because you know, like we've got some guys like Chase Armstrong is a good example of this. Like, I don't think that kid would leave Arkansas State if. If he had to, you know, he loves it here, and, and he tells me all the time. But then you have some guys like we have a couple transfers on our roster, so I, I think it's interesting the way the portal works now. And I had this conversation with our guys at Central Florida, actually at the World Series because we were going through and you know trying to do portal recruiting because being in Florida and being at the World Series, like there was a there was a draw. You know, I mean, we we were able to pick up the phone and kind of explain what we were doing, and that helped. But one of the things I think you're going to see at the junior college level and we actually talked about this in our staff meeting this morning The level of talent you're going to see is going to shrink a little just because like a lot of these guys are going division one to division one to where they used to not be able to do that. Yeah. You know, you either had to graduate or you were sitting out a year. And so I'm not going to say it's going to be entirely like for us, it's going to flip over because I mean, we want to try to build our recruiting classes with high school kids, guys that we can build around long term and see them develop. And if you go in there and look at the wall of all the draft guys that we have in our lobby, like most of them are high school kids. And we talk about that with, you know, guys when we have them on campus is like, we want to build the middle of the field, you know, being a shortstop catcher, center field and on the mound around high school kids and then kind of supplement with junior college kids around that. We've had pretty good success in that in this class, like with the current roster. So I think the portal, is, it needs some refining, you know, in terms of just how they do it. You know, like it benefits some schools, you know, if you're in the SEC, like you can pretty much call and do whatever you want in terms of getting on the phone with guys, but... I forget how many it was. It was like over, it was close to a thousand guys that went in the portal this year. And there were kids all over the place in August that didn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. They've been in there for two months. And and then there's also junior college kids that are lacking on top of that. I mean, we were getting calls from coaches in, I think it was like the second week of August, like, hey, like, I got this kid needs somewhere to go. And like, he was a serviceable player. And it's like, 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 what are we doing? You know, like, it's, it's tough. And then these high school kids are getting, backlogged and these kids are going and be in the some cases like the 45th man on a roster in reality like there's a lot of really good junior college programs in the state of Arkansas you know or in the state of Texas or the state of even Alabama Mississippi Mississippi junior college is awesome it's tough like it's a really interesting situation with the portal it can help you and it can hurt you and you never really know by here which one it's going to be
0: well Peyton it's Great to finally get to visit with you a little bit, get to know you and your story. It's certainly a very unique journey to where you're at right now, and couldn't be more thrilled to have you here.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. If I could say one more thing. Go ahead. How about that QB one this week, huh? (laughs) That was awesome.
0: He's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he is. He is. That's Peyton Trawick joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this.
1: When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our
0: tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight,
1: wherever we overcome
0: odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank,
1: member FDIC. This is Coach Butch Jones, and we need you to help our A-State athletic programs by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that is making a real difference in the lives of our student athletes. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access that you will not find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at ImpactClub.com. That's Impact, spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T, Club.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and is helping our program Right now, Wolves Up. Taking
0: a look at everything else that's going on in the world of A-State athletics. There's a lot going on right now. The volleyball team was home this past weekend, dropped both of their matches to the Cajuns.
1: Yeah, so the Friday night match was not particularly close because I think the first set's 25-11. The other two sets are more competitive than that, but I think Coach Gerwig's trying to figure out why this young team has kind of come out and played young on Friday nights. You know, did that down at Georgia Southern and bounced back with a win. Did that against the Cajuns. And really, Saturday didn't get a win, but sure could have led the first set 24-20 and end up losing at 29-27. And then the second set went 33-31. No so I mean, wow. you're talking about a, just a battle on Saturday that uh, literally a, a point here or there per set completely changes the outcome.
0: Red Wolves now 11 and 5 on the season, 1 and 3 in conference play. They'll be on the road this weekend at South Alabama, Friday at 6, then Saturday at 1. The men's golf team is home this week as we record this. They're hosting the Bubba Barnett Intercollegiate at Ridgepoint. Go out there and get you a bologna sandwich.
1: Yeah, same. You want to go see who it's named after? Just look for the guy walking around with a hat that says Bubba. That'll be him.
0: That's the one.
1: He's the one. Women's golf had
0: a good showing at the Golf Week Red Sky Classic in Vail, Colorado this past week. They finished sixth out of 16 teams at that event. They'll be back in action next Monday and Tuesday, the 9th and 10th.
1: They played in Vail and then came home, and on Sunday as a team, uh, Woody Harrelson helped them get set up where they went up and played Dalhousie. How about that? Yeah, so a tough week for those gals
0: we mentioned earlier the soccer team with a big win this past weekend their first conference victory came on the road at coastal carolina a game in which they were trailing one nil at the half scored twice in the second half to come back and win it two to one keelan peacock and darby stotts with the goals in that one and a-State now 3-5-2 and two on the season, 1-2-1 and one in league play. They're going to be back home Thursday at 3 against Troy and then on the road Sunday at noon at Georgia
1: State. Well, student giveaway Thursday for that match against Troy. You got 100 Red Wolves soccer lunch bags, those insulated lunch bags for students to pick up All and right. show up at the match.
0: Cross-country with a really good showing. They went to the Chili Pepper Festival in Fayetteville Friday. The men finishing fourth out of 32 teams in that event. And the women were top five out of 35 teams in that event. So, Coach Duval yeah. doing a great job with that program.
1: He sure does. And those are stacked fields, you know, regional teams all over the place. So, to go uh, fair like that, you had to come out of there with some confidence.
0: And finally, the football team. We'll be back in action Saturday at Troy taking on the defending conference champs at three o'clock Saturday. Our coverage begins at one on the network. Uh that game also will be on ESPN plus. But Troy at three and two on the season, one and one in conference play. You know, you go back a year ago, and I know Troy pulled away in the fourth quarter of that final game, but the Red Wolves actually led after three quarters. And I don't know how much you can take from that game, just based on how different the Red Wolves are. And Troy has looked a little bit different this year as well. Well, But Troy's coming off a nice win this past weekend. They went into Georgia State and handed the Panthers their first loss of the year and and beat them handily.
1: Just getting ready to say, right, when you're starting to say, I wonder if his Troy team's not as good as they were. Then they go into Atlanta and toss the second half shutout, only give up seven points, and you say win convincingly against an undefeated Georgia State team. So, yeah, I think Troy's still pretty good.
0: The one thing that you like is, hey, we've had success in Troy before. and
1: I wish they were ranked.
0: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You remember last time we went in there, it was 2019. It was right after Logan got hurt. After Logan Bonner got hurt, that was Lane Hatcher's first start. And we hit him with a 92-yard touchdown pass. To Corey Rucker. No, to Omar on the very first play. It was wrong number seven. But uh, to Omar, 92-yard score, and we ended up winning that one 50-43.
1: Been some fun ones down there, and I hope Saturday's another one.
0: All right. Anything else we need to talk about? Well, I'll
1: say this real quick, and I don't know if it's a real popular take or not, but and it's not like it's news to them. It's not like they didn't know what they signed up for. And they even tried to address it before the season. They got told no. But this rule that's keeping James Madison out of the Sunbelt Championship game and a bowl is, is dumb, dumb, dumb.
0: There's 13 other schools that are pretty happy right now because JMU is definitely looks like the best team in the league to this point.
1: I watched them in South Alabama. A good chunk of that game Saturday, but it, so it's a two-year transitional rule, and the rule was made to almost serve as a deterrent from teams to try to willy-nilly go from either Division II to FCS or FCS to FBS. Well, it's been a long time since a team tried to willy-nilly make that move. As a matter of fact, I don't know that you can do it that way anymore. Yeah. So it's a rule that is past its shelf life, and it's now it's not a deterrent. I mean, it's a punishment. It really is. It's what it is. And they appealed it in the off season, and their appeal was denied. The only way they can make a bowl – they can't play in some Sunbelt championship game. And the only way they can make a bowl, if they're bowl eligible, is if there aren't enough bowl-eligible teams. Then they can get into one.
0: It's sad for those players if they do have a very special season, especially if they're good enough to win the conference and not be able to play in the postseason. And I remember – what was it? 2015. Georgia Southern's first year in the league, they ran the table yeah. in conference play. They went eight and zero. Now we went eight and too, in the conference. Just say the,
1: the one difference, and this is no knock on what that Willie Fritz team did, but they came in and they went eight and zero, and they played all the teams in the league but two, us and Lafayette. That's true. Were the two they missed. They, it just hit that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't have any control over it. But those two pretty good teams did not play right along that time. Yeah,
0: those were the two you didn't want to play in 2015 if, if you're Georgia Southern. It would have been fun to watch Arkansas State play Georgia Heck Southern yeah. that season.
1: But this James Mastin team, I mean, they were very well positioned for this move. From resources-wise, obviously budget, they're at right at the top of the league. So a rule, again, that was invented, created as a deterrent is not a deterrent anymore. It's a flat-out punishment. Not, I feel bad for those guys. bit them last year. But uh, it certainly looks like, to this point, that it's going to be in position to bite him again this year.
0: It's been another fun episode. We really appreciate Peyton Trawick coming in. Enjoyed that conversation, getting a chance to get to know him a little bit. Appreciate Caleb Garner from A-State Media Relations for setting that up. Hopefully we're back in here next week talking about a fourth straight win for the Red Wolves. Yeah. Who knows?
1: By the way, and I don't think, like, I'm not even mad to go back to the last thing with James Madison. It's not even really about that they didn't get their waiver because, again, they kind of, they knew what they signed up for. Love it or not, you kind of know that thing's there. I just think it's the bigger issues are maybe time to go back and address that rule.
0: Yeah. Again, been a fun episode. We appreciate you joining us, as always, for Brad. I'm Matt. Have a great week.